0: Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with a simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Friends, we're in for a treat. Uh, we have a guest preacher who is not a guest. Uh, someone who's a part of a community is going to share a message today. I have known Ron for over a decade, which is crazy. I've known Ron for over a decade. And what I've loved about Ron is not only is he a person of great wisdom and joy, but he is a person who loves Scripture and loves the complexity of Scripture. He has the ability to teach uh, the deep mysteries of our faith in a way that's provocative and it's meaningful. So will you join me in welcoming Ron? So our reading today comes from the Gospel of Luke. In the first chapter, at the very end, it actually has a, a name for it. It's called the Benedictus. Uh, you might know the Magnificat is in Luke chapter one. That's from Mary speaking. This is Zacharias. So here's our reading, Luke 1:67 and following. And his father Zacharias was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, "Blessed be the Lord God of Israel." for He has visited us and accomplished redemption for His people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of David, His servant, as He spoke by the mouth of His holy prophets of old, salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy towards our fathers, to remember His holy covenant, the oath which He swore to Abraham, our father, to grant that we being rescued from the hand of our enemies, might serve Him without fear in holiness and righteousness before Him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare His ways, to give His people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God with which the, sun, the sunrise from on high will visit us to shine upon those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So uh, we're in the middle of a series uh, for The Bible Tells Me So. What is the Bible? How do we read it? What's the role of the Bible in the life of an individual follower of Jesus or in the life of the church, the community of Jesus' followers? And surprisingly, perhaps, last week we said, it ain't easy. Sixty six separate documents collated into one volume with a major demarcation in between Old Testament, New Testament, The time frame addressed in these documents covers many millennia. I mean, from in the beginning when God created the heavens and the earth to then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. Revelation 21. The Bible covers the entirety of cosmic history from beginning to end to new beginning. But the 66 documents, they're not all the same. Different authors, different time periods, different genres, different concerns, different agendas, and their parts, I don't like what it says. Or I just don't know what to do with it. It ain't easy. And if someone says it is easy, I don't believe them. And honestly, I don't trust them either. So today we're going to talk about The big story. From Genesis to Revelation, is the Bible telling one story? What is that story? Where do I fit? Where do we fit? And if we know the big story, how does that help us to read, to use, and to engage with the Bible in the ongoing life of a follower of Jesus? That's what we're going to do today. Now, don't feel bad if we've kind of got a deer in the headlights thing going on in our head. I used to teach a class at Austin Seminary, the Bible Content class. It was a prep course for an ordination exam, the Bible Content exam. And it was my job to get these pastors in training ready for this ordination exam, the Bible content exam. Uh, on the exam, there's a hundred questions, all multiple choice. Sometimes it would be, "What does the Bible say here?" It would quote something. Other times it would say, uh, "It would say, where does the Bible say X?" And I had all kinds of tips and tricks for the students. Things like, if it sounds like Christmas, it probably comes from Isaiah or Micah. <laughs> so don't feel bad if we feel like we don't really know the Bible. These were seminary students, and they didn't know the Bible. After a couple of weeks, I brought out this for my students. <laughs> I'm not kidding either. The Bible for dummies. And of course, they said, well, we can't do that. We're pastors. What if people see us? And I said, look, put it in a brown paper wrapper. I don't care. But this is what you need. Let's start here. Now I'm talking to us here. So Let's us not feel bad if we feel like we don't really know the Bible. These were seminary students and they didn't really know the Bible either many of them. And I love this book, Bible for Dummies. I really am recommending it. And guess what? On the Vine website, we have a whole list of phenomenal resources to help us as we're getting to know the Bible, as we're using the Bible. And, and there's podcasts too. I mean, Stephanie listens to a podcast called The Bible for Normal People. And it's awesome. So today we're talking about the big story from Genesis to Revelation. Is the Bible telling one's story? What is the story? And if we know the big story, how does that help us? Now there's two things that the Bible is not. Two things to watch out for if we're wanting to understand the Bible as a whole. Number one, the Bible is not a book of magic incantations. And yeah, I just said that. The Bible is not a book of magic incantations, even though we in the faith often seem to use the Bible in just that way. Ouch. Uh, Our friend is depressed. Oh, uh, you're depressed. Um, uh, I know. You need incantation J29.11. Behold the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. That's what you need. Jeremiah 29:11. But in its context, the actual verse, it's a little more complicated. Uh, it, the year is around 587 B.C. And the Babylonians have come into, uh, into Israel, into Jerusalem, and they've just demolished it. Thousands upon thousands have died. And, and some of the ones who survived, they're now enslaved, captured, and were hauled off to Babylon, bereft of country, bereft of temple, bereft of God, so they think. And, and Jeremiah, he writes them a letter. And he says to him, guys, mm, you're going to be in Babylon for 70 years, so you might as well put down some roots. You're going to be there for a while, Uh, but don't worry, uh, God is still with you, and someday he's going to bring us back. In 70 years, he's going to bring you back. Behold the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. Now that's the context of that Bible verse that we sometimes use almost as a magic spell. Here, just hear these words. That's what you need to hear. But we miss the actual story. We miss what it actually means. And in fact, just so you know, I still use Jeremiah 29:11. It is a beautiful promise from God, but at least I know the context. Because it fits more like this. Hey, times are hard. I know they're hard. And sometimes we don't know how long those hard times are going to last. And it often feels like God is far away. But God is still with us, even in the hard times. So, let's put down some roots. Bloom where we're planted. And someday, God will bring us back. Now that's how we would use Jeremiah 29.11. And I've said this in kind of a harsh way so that we remember it. The Bible is not a book of magic incantations. And if that's the only way we know how to approach the Bible, we'll never get the big story. We'll never know how to actually understand the Bible. We'll do violence to the text, and we may harm other people too. Two things to watch out for if we want to understand the Bible as a whole. Number one, Bible's not a book of magic incantations. Number two, it's not about me. Two things we need to know. Now, uh, here, this is called the bridge illustration. Or uh, it's also called the gospel on a napkin. And I love this. In fact, I came to faith with exactly this diagram right here. It's kind of similar to the four spiritual laws, if you know that resource. So, uh, I'm going to do this really fast. You, you, you would do this as a dialogue with a friend, and as you're talking, you would, you would make the diagram and add the words as you're talking. Now, again, I'm going to do this fast. It's just an illustration. Hey, Ron, what do you think God is like? Uh, he's big, he's far, he's distracted. Yeah, 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 whatever. The Bible says that... The Bible says that God is love and God offers life. Now, what do you think about mankind? What do you think about us? What's our situation? Uh, Creative, basically good, basically bad? The Bible says the Bible says that we're sinful, we're separated from God. We can't know His love or experience His life, and ultimately, we die and face judgment for our sins. What do you think about this, Ron? What what are you going to do? Like, hmm, bummer. I'll do better. I'll stop drinking. I'll stop smoking. I'll stop cussing. And those are just the things I'll admit to you right now. (laughs) No good, Ron. No good. He's holy. God is holy. We can never be good enough for God. Looks like we're stuck. Now here, you want this to sink in a little bit. And I've never actually drawn the flames of hell on the diagram. But it's kind of like that, right? Like, Oh no, why didn't I listen? Uh, why didn't you tell me? So you got to let this sink in. And then when the time is right, you bring the, you bring the solution. Guess what, my friend? Guess what? God made a way. We need a bridge. And He made one for us. And that's where you're drawing the cross and Jesus. That's why Jesus came. That's why He died. Listen to this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. What do you think of them apples? And on October 22nd, I'm sorry, on October 22nd, 1978, my friend Ray shared this with me and I said, yes, I want that. I'm in. When Mark saw the text of the sermon a couple days ago and he's reading to this part and uh, October 22nd, 1978, the day that I gave my life to Christ is also the day that Mark Charbonneau was born. (laughs) You could say we were both born on the same day. I love this. Well, I might take off the flames of hell. I love this. And today, right after church, if any of us said, hey Ron, can we walk through that again? Would that be okay? I'd say, you bet. Let's talk it through right now. I believe every word that I just shared with us, and I love this diagram, and it does very little to help us understand the Bible. It does very little to help us understand the Bible. Why? Because the Bible is not about me. The Bible is for me, yes. The Bible is for us, yes. But the Bible is not about me. And listen, the Bible is not about my personal salvation. I can find it there, but that's not what the Bible is about. I mean, no wonder why people don't read the Bible. It doesn't have easy answers, and it's not about me. Mystery solved. That's why we don't read the Bible. But if it's okay... Let's make a start together, today, here. What is the Bible? What story does it tell? What's the big story? The Bible is the story of a relentless God who just won't quit. He created a world, a world of perfect communion. God, humans, all creation, All in sync. Total presence. How could you screw that up? And we did. And it's like the dream. God's dream. It died that day. Presence. Communion. God. Humans. Creation. Total sync. Expression of God's glory. The dream is over. But he doesn't stop. The Bible is the story of a relentless God who just won't quit. Now, the Bible starts in a world before time. Well, there was no world, so there could be no time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, formless and void. Tohu Vibohu in Hebrew. By the way, those are the names of two Mesopotamian deities Tohu Vibohu, chaos, the sons of anarchy. The Spirit is there in the beginning, Proverbs chapter 8. Jesus was there in the beginning, John chapter 1. The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit, they're there at the beginning. And a first question we might ask is why? Why did you create? The answer is we don't know. He just did. They just did. It's been said that out of the abundance of love within the Trinity, the world was born. Okay, we know this. God said it was good. The world, man, woman, humankind, creation, it's good, very good. Humankind is created in the image of God. We tend to focus on the humans, but for the moment, let's also recognize that Every part of creation was crafted by God and is an expression of God's own being. Now, I'm a woodworker somewhat, and when I build something like an armoire, that which I build is an expression of me. That makes me sound like I'm a master craftsman. You know what I'm building right now? Cornhole boards. (laughs) I am. In the beginning. God, humans, creation, complete communion, perfect expression, total sync, and it doesn't take long for the whole thing to unravel. By Genesis chapter 3, we're off the rails, and the dream is dead. Now I'm going to take us to the balcony. Picture an old dance hall. Uh, the broken spoke, maybe. Maybe. Uh, 30 or 40 couples on the floor, circling the floor in a curving cavalcade. But imagine also that there's a balcony in the same big room, a balcony up above. Go up to the balcony. Let's take in the whole picture. Can you see the point of view from the balcony? Can you picture the whole floor as people are moving? That's what we're doing right now. So Genesis chapters 1 through 11, there's, it's sometimes called the primeval prologue. Things go from good to bad to worse. And it's hard to date any of it. And some of the stories are pretty darn troubling, like the flood. But the world changes. The world of the Bible changes in Genesis chapter 12. Abram, Abraham, the first of the patriarchs. He gets a calling and a promise. It's not like God, I mean, it's like God just can't give up. It's worth paying attention to this. The Bible is the story of God, a God who won't give up. I mean, he's relentless, he won't let go of that dream. And Abraham gets a promise, a promise of land, people, blessing, but it's not just for Abraham's sake. I'm gonna bless you so that you will be a blessing to everyone else. In you or through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. God is on a mission, and it's bigger than Abraham. So God makes a covenant with Abraham. It's a type of ancient treaty or contract. Animals are sacrificed, and literally they're split into two pieces. A path is set between the pieces of the animals. And in a normal covenant, both parties would walk between the dead bodies of the animals. If I break this covenant, may it be done to me as we've done to these animals. But here, God puts a big sleep on Abraham and only God walks the path. That's a key to the big story. It's almost like God is saying, in the end, the consequences and the solutions to how we live life together they're going to fall on me. The big story. The Bible is the story of a relentless God who seems almost pathologically disposed to keep trying. He just can't quit us. It's almost like he's trying to get back to Eden. I mean, God, humanity, creation in a perfect communion, unfettered, no barriers, no masks, A perfect expression of his own being now writ large. And we are caught up into this story. So here's a theme that starts with the patriarchs. It continues throughout the Old Testament and into the New. We call it uh, particularity for the sake of universality. Now only a theologian would come up with a phrase like that. The particular for the sake of the universal. Uh, uh, One for the sake of all. And God says to Abraham, I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Particular, Abraham, universal, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now, that same theme of particular and universal, that's how I view the Bible, too. It's real particular. In one sense, it's telling a very small story. God and what comes to be known as His people in this little country called Israel. And it's from two, three thousand years ago. The patriarchs, Egypt, captivity, Moses, Exodus, Ten Commandments, the wandering, Joshua, Judges, United Kingdom, divided kingdom, temple, dissolution, defeat, exile, exile and return, all of it. It's there as a record, as a testament. This is the story. This is the story of a relentless God who just won't quit. And it's more than a record. We see ourselves in the stories, or we can. Picture, window, mirror. When God chose Abraham, when He chose this people, Israel, when God chose to reveal Himself, I am who I am, when God gives the law, He's choosing the particular for the sake of the universal all the families of the earth be blessed in you. God is relentless, and God's on a mission, and it's bigger than ancient Israel. It's a cosmic mission. It's a universal mission. The particular for the sake of the universal. And I think it's also a pretty good way to understand the Bible. Yes, it's a record of things back then. The particular. And yes, it's so much more. The universal. A while back I said, the Bible's not a book of magic incantations. What that means is, learn the story. Get some context. Get this. There's a difference between narrative and poetry. and wisdom literature, like Proverbs or Job, it's meant to be a conversation read at the same time. It's not a proof text. And it's pretty confusing to read something like Hosea, Habakkuk, or Micah if we don't know something about who's the audience and what's going on at the time. Or even uh, 400 years later, why'd they choose to keep this document? Why did they hold on to this 400 years later? The Bible is not a book of magic incantations, so get some help. And the Bible, the real Bible will become alive for us. Earlier in the message, I also said the Bible's not about me. For me, yes, but the story is about God, the relentless God who just won't quit. The God who has a mission of restoration, reconciliation, and recreation. The God who has a mission of restoration, reconciliation, and recreation. And that takes us into the New Testament. Now, let me put it as Put us at ease. I'm not going to spend as much time with the New Testament as we just did with the Old. For one thing, we're a lot more familiar with the New Testament than we are with the Old. And my point is, the New Testament is telling the same story. But the story's not about me, it's not about you. It's for us, but it's not about us. The story is about God, the same story, the relentless God who just won't quit restoration, reconciliation, recreation. It's the same story. And the relentless God who won't quit, He's still on the same mission. Our reading is from the Gospel of Luke at Zacharias, husband of Elizabeth, father of John the Baptist. John the Baptist is about to be born. And I'm just going to bring up verse 72 or a couple. Listen to the echo. The echo of the past in this little passage Thus he has shown the mercy promised to our ancestors and has remembered his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our ancestor Abraham to grant us that we, being rescued from the hands of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness, in righteousness before him, before him, in his presence all our days." the promise, the ancestors, Abraham, the covenant, rescue, reconciled, restored in the presence of God, holiness, righteousness before him all our days. It's the same darn story, the same dream. God never gave up the relentless God who just won't quit. We see some inklings in the Hebrew scriptures in the Old Testament, that God's thinking way bigger than Israel. Blessed to be a blessing is a hint of that. It really comes out in the prophets. The, the day of the Lord, the Yom Yahweh, when, when all the nations of the earth will stream to Jerusalem, to Yahweh's temple in Jerusalem. That's a picture of it. The restoration of humanity. And Luke, more than any other Gospel, he makes it clear. A light for the Gentiles. The Gospel. The Kingdom. Restoration, reconciliation, recreation, it's for everyone. And Luke drives the point home in his second document, Acts. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea and Samaria, and Samaria, even to the ends of the earth. And by the end of the book of Acts, the gospel is in Rome. Paul is in Rome and members of Caesar's own household are coming to faith. We're almost done. I'm going to jump to the end, and then I'll backfill one last point. Jump to the end. Revelation 21. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among mortals. He will dwell with them. He will dwell with them. And they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things have passed away. And the one who is seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new restoration, reconciliation, recreation. Do we see it? Do we see that? We're back in the garden. Only bigger, better, complete. He never gave up. The relentless God who just can't quit. This is His story. The big story. The relentless God who won't quit. God will have God's way. And His way, what He wants, is to be with us, Emmanuel, in complete communion, that we might glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And, and here's the cool thing, the unusual thing, or another cool thing among dozens. It, it's a big one. And in fact, it's kind of hard to understand the New Testament if we don't understand what I'm about to say. That future, that future, God's future, Restoration, reconciliation, recreation, that future has already begun. And we, we together, we here, we are the people of God's future, alive in the present. Paul says it this way, if anyone is in Christ, new creation, the old is gone, the new has come, It's the same message as the Gospel proclamation. The the Kingdom of Heaven is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. It's like Jesus is saying, wake up, guys. The future we've all been waiting for, hoping for, restoration, reconciliation, recreation, the Kingdom, the future, it starts now. It's here now. Through Me. Repent and believe the good news. And by the way, repent in Greek, it doesn't mean feel sorry for your sins. It means open your eyes, change your mind, and turn around. That's the meaning of repent. We, in Christ, we're the people of this future. We're the people of God's future, alive in the present. And that's why the giving of the Spirit is called a deposit in the New Testament a deposit, a guarantee. It seals the deal. It proves to us and to everyone else that we are the people of God's new future. We get to live it now. Can we believe it? We get to live the future now. And that's why that diagram, I'll show it to you here. That's why this diagram, as great as it is, it doesn't do justice to the big story. And it doesn't do much to help me understand the Bible, or even why I need the Bible to begin with. This is a picture of the gospel of sin management. It's a morsel, a tidbit, an hors d'oeuvre. True? Yes. Tasty? Yes. Recommended? Yes. But it's not the big story. I'm going to end it. We've gone from in the beginning to behold, I make all things new. There is one story to the Bible, one big story from creation to recreation, one big story, the story of God, the relentless God who just won't quit, and he pursues us, each of us, even today. We've shared a couple of key thoughts. I hope we remember them. The, book, the Bible is not a book of magic incantations. It's just my way of saying get to know the story, learn what's there. I mean, do some work. Let's gain some skills, genre, context, purpose. Let's read the Bible for what it is, not for what it's not. Another key thought was it's not about me. Now, I pretty much think everything ought to be about me. Ptolemy once said, or famously said, that the earth is the center of the universe, and that he didn't go far enough. I feel like Ron should be the center of the universe, and everyone else revolve around me. But the Bible doesn't let us do that. The Bible doesn't fit my grid, because it's not about me. It's for me, but it's not about me. The story belongs to God. The relentless God who just won't quit. And that God pursues us. And now we too, we too are caught up into the big story.